0: this is Michael, and you're listening to SOMA's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. We're in a series in the book of Mark called Kingdom Come, and the journey through Mark leads us up to Easter. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at solma.church. This week's teaching is called The Time Has Come. Enjoy the message. Today we're kicking off a new series in the book of Mark called Kingdom Come, and uh, I'm really pumped for this series. One of the reasons why is we're trying something new in a resource that we made available. Uh, creative team put together this. It's excellent. And it's basically just a, kind of a little Bible study ongoing with the series. And every single week uh, in this booklet, there's going to be a, a place for you to kind of take notes for where everywhere we're going. It, you know, through the teach during this season, you're going to have an opportunity to take notes. There's also a Bible reading plan for the entire book of Mark. So we're not going to be able to hit every verse, every chapter in the book of Mark. We're going to do a survey, what we typically do with books. I want to encourage you to read the whole text for yourself. There's all kinds of fun stuff in the front of the book. Um, take a minute uh, after service if you, if you don't have one. We would ask that if you, if you can, just limit it to one person, you know, one book per person uh, because we're, we're running out already, which is awesome, but we can order more if we need to, but Grab, grab a hold of that after service if you don't have one already. Okay, open up your Bibles if you got them. We're going Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Where's all my paper Bible people? We have paper Bibles up in this house? Come on, let's go. Old school. Okay, for everybody else, you, could, you, could, you can pull it up on your phone, uh, your Fible, oh, and, and or Sky Bible behind me if you didn't bring anything. Um, we're going to hit Mark 1, verse 1, just to kind of get us rolling. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the son of God. So Mark, also known as John Mark in the Bible, gives us the first line of his text, his gospel account. It's the only place in his gospel account that he really tells us what he thinks about who Jesus is. Everywhere else, he just tells us what Jesus did. Here's what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's a recorded account. But in Mark 1, verse 1, he says, hey, all this is about the good news it's the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so Mark is, um, uh, is, is an interesting character because he has a couple guys, really key leaders in the church in the New Testament, who he's good friends with. They're mentors of his. Paul is one of those. And so we see in Colossians 4, for example, Paul refer to uh, Mark in this way. He says, My fellow prisoner, Um, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. And that's who he's referring to, the guy who wrote this text, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. He's a leader in the church. Again, being mentored by Paul, kind of a big deal, but also being mentored by this guy named Peter. And we know that because 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 13, he references John Mark. He references Mark. He says this. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, talking about someone else. So does my son Mark. And that's who he, in first Peter five thirteen, uh, Peter says, Hey, my, my son sends his greetings, he's talking about his son in the faith, not his biological son. And so he's being mentored by Peter church tradition, biblical scholarship, all that points to the fact that Mark actually makes his account of the life of Jesus because Peter sat around with him and just told him story after story, eyewitness accounts of what Jesus did. And Mark is a scribe. And so he's writing all these things down and he compiles the first gospel account. And so Matthew and Luke actually make their gospel accounts off of Mark's outline. And they use his, there's reason why we're doing Mark as a study um, because it's the first and because the synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, they, and, and Mark, they're all sharing the same outline. John is the outlier. Uh, and I love John's gospel so good. they're all coming at at Jesus from a different angle. And they're all really trying to serve humanity, the church, everybody from a different vantage point. Matthew wrote his account primarily to serve Jews, which is why Matthew gives us a genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. And so he's doing that because he's trying to prove to everyone that Jesus is the rightful heir of the King, uh, the, the King of Israel. Uh, he is the King of Israel. He's the, he's the new David. He's, 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 um, the King of the Jews. And then Luke's Gospel focuses on the God-Man Jesus. Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man. In the Gospel, Luke emphasizes and leans heavy on Jesus's humanity, his empathy with brokenness and outsiders and marginalized. Jesus as the friend of sinners is kind of Luke's vibe. That's why so much, so many of us love Luke. We're like, oh yeah, because because Luke is writing primarily to a Gentile audience. He's writing to the Greeks. And so then John's gospel, he begins with a statement about eternity because John's saying Jesus is the son of God. And he's focused on Jesus as God and then encourages his readers to believe Jesus as savior and receive the gift of eternal life. That's John's agenda. And now Mark is writing to the Romans and his theme is that Jesus Christ is the servant. Again, this whole idea of kingdom, this whole idea of Uh, of power and greatness, just kind of flipping what culturally at the time was power and greatness displayed on people. He's writing to a Roman audience to say, no, Christ, Lord of all, son of God is primarily a servant. And so Jesus says in the gospel of Mark, for example, in chapter 10, we'll hit this in this series. uh, You know, I came not to be served, but I came as a servant to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And so that's, that's Mark's angle on this. But he starts everything off in verse 1. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark's whole message is saying, hey, this is only good news. I have good news. I'm, I'm going I'm to start everything off by saying the life and the testimony, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, the implications of who Jesus is for you and for the rest of humanity is good news. And not only is it good news about Jesus, but Jesus is the good news, like in, in, in bodily form, he's showing up as good news. God himself became the messenger, the herald of the heralder of good news, and then came with good news about himself is what Mark saying. This is the reason why we say as a church, Jesus is our message, because there's not a better thing I can communicate to you. Nothing that would serve you better. Nothing that would help you navigate life's hard things or suffering or pain or relationship woes or any of the things that we struggle with other than Jesus. If I can communicate Jesus clearly to you, it will serve you in ways nothing else will. Jesus is our message. And so here's why, here's why the gospel is such good news. It doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter if you've lost something recently, if you feel shame, if you feel stuck, if you've suffered, if you've done something to hurt yourself or others, if you have loved ones who've passed away or you get bad news about somebody's health, if you don't feel fulfilled or if you lack purpose and peace, the whole idea is that there's good news for whatever bad news that you're facing. And we find that in the person of Jesus. There's an anecdote to whatever suffering, whatever trial, whatever hard thing that we're navigating. And it comes in the form of Christ. That's the gospel. And after Mark tells his audience that this good news about Jesus is going to start everything off that way. He jumps right in on the life of Christ. He doesn't give us baby Jesus. Again, uh, Luke gives us that. Matthew gives us that. Luke gives us that because he's primarily focused on Jesus. Jesus humanity. But Mark's like suffering servant. We're just going straight on this thing. He starts talking to us about John the Baptist in his gospel account. And the reason why John the Baptist is a big deal is because John comes to prepare the way of Jesus. And one of the underlying themes in Mark's gospel, every gospel, is the whole idea of the kingdom of God. And John's coming as kind of the, if you've ever been to a good concert, John is the opening act. You know what I'm saying? He is the appetizer before the entree. He's that. And so he shows up on the scene kind of a big deal. People love John, uh, really excited about his ministry and he's real prophetic says like, I mean, he's just kind of a crazy dude. He's just like walking around in the wilderness, eating bugs and wearing animal skin and just like saying prophetic things And people are drawn to him. He's baptizing people, has disciples. The right people are ticked off at his ministry, Pharisees, that kind of thing. But here's what John says. He redirects, he redirects all the energy that's given to him on to jesus he says this in mark one picking up in verse seven is where we're going to be and we're going to we're going to lead uh, up to verse 15 he says and this was his message talking about john after he comes the one more powerful than i the straps of whose sandals i'm not worthy to stoop down and untie he says i baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the holy spirit after me comes this one greater than me i'm not even worthy to untie this brother's shoes." I'm dunking you in some water. He is immersing you in himself. He's like, this is fun and everything. This is awesome. I'm glad you guys think I'm cool. Jesus is Jesus. And so it's going to change the game whenever he shows up on the scene. And so John was a big deal too, to his contemporaries. But uh, I love it. I love this whole idea of him being a precursor of being an opening act. A few years ago, Brooke and I went to a concert and it was like everybody at the concert you know, sometimes you go and you're just like, whatever, just get to, like, the main thing. Like, let me just get to the headliner. This concert, it was just like the people who opened, the next group, the next band, the next band. It was like by the fourth one, we were like, surely that's the end of the night. And it was like, and then the headliner came and it just melted our face, and it was amazing. So that's kind of what John is saying. He's like, this is awesome, but Jesus is about to roll up in here. It's going to change the game. And so that's what, that's what he's saying. And then verse 9, look what happens is Jesus arrives onto the scene. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn apart, which imagine how insane that is. And, the, and then the spirit descends on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. A couple things on this part of the passage. First of all, Jesus models for us. This precedent of like water baptism and he humbles himself again, primarily Mark's focused on him as a servant. He humbles himself to come and be baptized by his cousin, John. John's going, dude, this is so weird. Why in the world am I baptizing the son of God? Like I, this is not the way I don't even, I can't even untie your shoes. And Jesus says, it's not about you. It's about the precedent that I'm setting. It's about me establishing what it means to fully surrender, and I'm modeling what it means for me to lay down my agenda, my life, and I'm gonna step into the agenda of the Father. This is what every believer in the New Testament does following Jesus, we're death to an old self and being raised to new life in Christ. And so he models it for us. It's big enough that Jesus models it and then calls us to that same practice. And so if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've experienced a moment of just personal salvation where you've trusted your life to Christ, but you haven't followed up with water baptism, highly encourage you, and so does the Bible even more importantly, to take the next step of being immersed in water in water baptism, because this is what Jesus models. And again, this is what he calls us into. And it doesn't matter if you came to faith yesterday, or if you came to faith 10 years ago, and you've never taken that next step. It just does something. It does something to just go public with your faith. And that's what it is. And, and I, one of the things that I just hear this text telling me is just in this season for us as a church and in this season for the people of God, it's just time to commit. It's time to commit. It's time. It's, I mean, it's not unlike a marriage ceremony. If you've been to a wedding uh, and you've been to a reception, it's the same thing. You're going public with your love. You're going public with your covenant for one another. And you're just telling everybody, this is my person and we're doing this thing and y'all are all invited to celebrate it with you. Baptism does the same thing. It's here, here, Here's who I am in Christ. I'm really laying down my agenda. I'm stepping into what God has for me. So just a challenge for those of you that haven't been baptized, April 16th, uh, the day, uh, the Sunday after Easter is where we're going to have just a big baptism celebration for anybody who wants to take that next step. And just be praying on that, save the date. You can register in the next couple of weeks as we get that rolled out, but just be praying and thinking on, is that me? Is that my next step? Is that what God wants me to do? Another thing I want to point in this part of the passage is that God speaks to Jesus and everybody who's there audibly, which every time you read that, like, what does that sound like? This is my son. whom I and, and I always like default to like James Earl Jones or like Mufasa, like, cause we're always like, of course it sounds like Mufasa, but like, but who, who knows what he sounds like, but it, whatever it was, it was awesome. Right. But whatever it sounded like, it was amazing. And everybody there heard it and he calls Jesus out and he says, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well Pleased. And I was reading, kind of preparing for this week, and I love one one author. They said, isn't it wild to think that Jesus, for 30 years, before he starts his earthly ministry, the only thing that he's done up to this point, when God says, this is my son, whom I loved, and him I'm well pleased, and he's telling this for everybody. The only thing he's done up to this point is just like domestic life. Like he's just prepared his heart, he's just honored his parents, he's just Grown in his faith and wisdom is what the Bible tells He took the trash out last week. He's been working in the wood shop with dad. Like this is like, no one's been resurrected. No one's been healed. No one had like no crazy teaching. None of none of that has happened yet. And so for some of us that just free you up a little bit, like God can be so pleased with you right where you're at in the mundane, right in the day to day, right in the things you think, ah, this is not making a difference. This doesn't matter. This isn't whatever. Just be obedient to God in the small things And it prepares you for when he calls you to larger things. And this is the thing that we got to learn as a church family. What can I do in the season of waiting for whatever assignment I feel like God's call is on my life so that I can prepare, so that I can be ready, so that I can trust him with my day to day? Because he looks at Jesus and he says, you're my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And the only thing that he had done up to that point was be obedient to God in his home life. Look what he says next in verse 12 and 13. He says this. At once, the Spirit sent, sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and then the angels attended him. And other gospel accounts tell us hey, he's spending this 40 days of prayer and fasting, seeking after God. And it's, a, it's amazing to me that he's seeking the, the direction of the Father. He's the son of God. And the first thing that he does, he goes public with his faith. It's time to commit. Second thing that he does is he just goes off and he just prays before he preaches, before he serves, before he heals, before he ministers, before he does anything, he's like, let me just pray first before we get this thing rolling 40 days. And and again, same, same posture of humility. Um, In the Bible, prayer and fasting often precede spiritual breakthrough. And Jesus launches into his earthly ministry with it. It, There's tons of biblical characters all throughout scripture, both Old and New Testament. David fasted and prayed. Daniel fasted and prayed. Moses fasted and prayed. I mean, you name them, Old and New Testament, spent some time researching it. They fasted and prayed. Jesus does the same thing. And so Paul and Barnabas is a great example, like in the church in Antioch, when they're sent out. So in the New Testament, Antioch has kind of like a stacked team. Like, they look around, and they're like, dang, we're swole. Like, we got killer leaders in here. And so they look at, and they're praying, and they're asking God. They're, they're, they're spending a the time of fasting and prayer and asking God for direction on what to do. And God's Holy Spirit says, all right, send uh, Paul and Barnabas out of here. And, and they're like, okay, cool. That's what we're going to do. And so, But it's just giving the church direction on what to do with who God sent, resources, people, all the things. And it's just this real dependency on the Holy Spirit in this season. But it all starts with prayer. Spirit-led prayer and fasting gives direction for the church. Every great awakening, every revival, every move of God, including Jesus, he starts this wave. All of it is dependent on this idea of, God, why don't you tell me where to go, what to do? I'm I'm just, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to ask you in prayer to lead me. We have to pray. I love what Arthur Pearson says. He says, there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. This guy is a 19th century evangelist and leader pastor who just saw what it looked like to be a part of a move of God. And he's just saying, he's the only way to do it is prayer. That's it. And so in this season as a church, we just, we want everybody to pray. We want you to lean into prayer. This is primarily what we see in, in Mark one is that, Hey, it's time to commit. But second, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Um, and so what we're asking, I mean, it's, we're in kind of beginning Wednesday. We're in this season of Lent as we head towards Easter globally, big C church. And depending on the denomin- denominational background or your history in church, you may not know much about it, but Ash Wednesday kicks off a season where historically the church has prayed, fasted, prepared for Holy week, going into Palm Sunday and into Easter Where it's just like, God, would you give me eyes to see opportunity to serve and love people? Would you give me eyes to see? Would you give me ears to hear? Opportunities to see things that I can't see myself. But would you lead me in that? And really just praying and asking God to lead you in this season in a way that you've never prayed before. We're going to lean into this even more. We're going to unpack over the next couple weeks some cool things that we're going to do in the life of prayer. But be praying for people in your life who need the good news and the hope of Jesus. Like, really pray for them. And you're like, I already prayed for them and it didn't work out. Keep praying for them. Pray for them, right? And so uh, invite them to come in this series. It's a great, this series is a great place for people to come and drop in. If they don't like church, I'm only going to give them good news in the hope of who Jesus is and what it means for their life. I promise you. So pray and fast for, uh, for us as a church and our direction as a church. So just like Paul and Barnabas and Antioch, hey, let's spend some time for those who will join us in it. Pray and fast in this season that God will give us real direction And a call in our life. Because I I believe the call is great. I believe the things that he desires to do in and through us are are big things. And so only after Jesus prayed and fasted did he begin his earthly ministry. And some of us are riding on fumes. Some of us are expecting God to work in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in, in the direction, the vocation, and the purpose for our life. But we don't pray. Like we want great things, but we don't humble ourselves and ask. We don't spend time for the sake of spending time in his presence. We don't build the relationship necessary out of the overflow of your prayer life are, is going to be the things that God begins to do in and through you a dependency on him, a desire to see him move in your life. And it can only be his work. And so the idea is to pray first, pray first, like before, man, before you take that job opportunity, pray first, like, I know she looks good, he looks good. But before you jump into that relationship, pray first, okay? Before you buy the thing, you're like, I really want to buy it. I just want to buy it. I just want to buy it. And it's easier now than ever than it is to buy it, just click it. But like before you buy it, pray first. Before like anything that you do and you think he doesn't care about that. Like he cares about all of it. Pray first, saturate your life in prayer, and then watch God working in and through you. If it's I don't understand how this is the thing that Jesus is this is the thing that Jesus does to launch into his earthly ministry and be led by God. And somehow we're like, I'm good. I'm, I don't need that. It's like he, like the son of man came. And then after committing, after going public, here's who I am. He, he, the first thing that he does is pray. And so that we got to continue to build that culture. If it applies to Jesus, it applies to us. Look at verse 14. It says this, after John was in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And so Jesus has gone public. He's committed, been baptized, gone into the wilderness. He's prayed. It's time to pray. And now verse 14 tells us he goes, he's launching into his earthly ministry. John's in prison. He gets in prison and Jesus goes, but basically passing the baton is what happens. John has fulfilled his role. Preparing the way for the coming Messiah, preparing the way for the kingdom of God. Now the kingdom is here. And, and so John goes to prison because he's ticked everybody off because he just is abrasive. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. He just says, what's up? And then you always get in prison anytime that happens. So anyway, he's in prison. And then, and then Jesus takes the baton. And then and now the kingdom of God is here proclaiming the good news of God. And so I love that. Um, what's interesting about this part of the passage that I love so much is that Jesus starts his earthly ministry in Galilee. Galilee is like this obscure place. The only reason why you know anything about Galilee is because, I mean, back in the day, you wouldn't have known anything about Galilee. It's like, Galilee? Why are we? Like, if you're going to start a movement, if I was going to start a movement, I would not have chosen Galilee to start. Hey, let's turn the world upside down. Where are we going to start? Galilee. That's not where I would, like, it's in the Roman Empire, but nobody knows anything about it where are we going to do this thing? Where are we going to do it? We're going to do it in Rome. No, let's, let's go to Galilee. <laughs> and I love it so much. Cause it's just this great reminder that God doesn't care about the things that we think about or the things that we care about when it comes to how he, you know, how we perceive he's going to move in our lives. Um, it's just this remote place in the middle of nowhere. That's how God works. You know, what's in Wilmore, Kentucky, nothing is in wilmore kentucky right i don't even know wilmore kentucky existed until last week when revival breaks out in asbury and it's just like come on wilmore let's go like all of a sudden everybody's leaning in to this place because they've just had two weeks worth of revival just ongoing prayer ongoing worship ongoing and people just losing their minds and uh and it's god doesn't care He's no respecter of persons. He definitely ain't a respecter of cities. He's like, I'm only going to do revival in Paris. Like, he's a, like, he's like I'm, I don't care. The more obscure, the more remote, the more like, what? The better for him. Like, this is the way that God works. And I love it so much. And it's just this reminder. Jesus starts everything with prayer and fasting. Again, he's committed it's time to pray. And then he's led by the spirit to begin his earthly ministry in what you and I would consider a pretty obscure place. It's this whole idea for us is that it's time to be led by the spirit. It's time to be led by the spirit. Um, again, let's not get too cute or too smart or too strategic. Let's just obey whatever God's asking us to do and then, and then let him handle all the results. When we first started as a church, Brooke and I, we were serving in another church in Lake Norman, but we were living in the Hickory area. And, uh, one of the, the campuses that we were a part of was over in Newton. And so we were serving at this church, but the church came to us and they said, Hey, you guys need to go and you need to plant a church. Cause it's just on you and you need to do that. And, um, but before we even moved to this area, they asked us to say, Hey, what do you think about Hickory? And we were like, we don't think about it. We don't think about Hickory. Well, I think we've been through it on the way to Asheville one time, maybe. Um, and so we're like, well, probably need to think about it. And so, uh, but we we're in a season where we're living here and we feel called to start something, having no idea where we're going to start it. We begin to populate a list of places. Hey, let's do Raleigh, Durham. Cool. Yeah. We went to state for undergrad. That'd be fun. We reconnect people. Well, let's go to Houston. There's a lot of transfer growth in Houston. Let's go here. Begin to kind of map out in the Southeast based on my dialect, what would be effective, you know, who I would hit with uh, lived experience, all the things. And, um, and, and we just came up and we, and we added Hickory to the list because we lived here, but we didn't want to take it off as a, as a possible. And, and we just spent a season of prayer and really excited. Like we were so ready to sell our house, move away, do all the things. We were jacked. And then uh, just felt the Holy Spirit tell us in that season of prayer. As a matter of fact, I asked Brooke, I was like, where do you feel like it is? She said, it's Hickory. I was like, I remember her saying that. I remember I, she didn't say, I think she just said, it is Hickory. And usually God speaks to her first, so I was like, okay, cool. So, um, no, I I felt the same thing, and just a peace set in that this is where God wanted us to be. So I'm excited. But then I'm going around telling people. I'm like, hey, we figured out where we're going to plant. They're like, awesome, tell me. I'm like, hickory. They're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, like, like, because everybody, you go to, like, a church conference or something like that. Like, where are you planting, New York, Miami, L.A., Atlanta? Where are you planting, hickory, North Carolina, come at me. Right. So it's like, (laughs) let's go. And so, but, but it's just, this. but I begin to, in my mind, I begin to, I I begin to do this thing where I was like, is it like, am I, is this the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we insane? Um, because the metrics and just like the numbers and just like all that junk, like, and God's like so dumb. But anyway, so we're just like, we're just, I'm wrestling in my spirit. Like, is it like, is this, is this, is this what you want? You know, and I began to question the call because I thought it wasn't as cool. Straight up. I thought it wasn't, oh, it's not going to be as impactful. There's not, God's not going to do as big a thing here as he could do it over here. And then I felt the Holy Spirit tell me. He just said, hey, Michael, what good comes out of Nazareth? And I said, hmm, okay. Uh, and then I was like, everything comes out of Nazareth. And he's like, right. He said, I could start a revival anywhere. This thing jumped off in Galilee, my man. Like there's like two people in Bethlehem whenever Jesus was born there. What are we talking about? Wilmore, Kentucky, Hickory, North Carolina. And it's just an encouragement to me. I hope it's an encouragement to you that God can do anything, anywhere, with anyone. I need you to believe for revival in your marriage. I need you to believe for revival in your home. I need you to believe for revival in your workplace. You're like, I work a manufacturing job. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're like, I'm a stay at home mom. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. He can do anything and just trust him for it. That's the season that we're called into. Like I believe for revival for Lenore. I believe for revival for Morganton. I, re- I believe for revival for Claremont I believe for revival for Morganton and Lincolnton and Lenora and Statesville Newton Conover everything in between Claremont Longview come on like I believe revival for everywhere like Hickory I believe revival to the ends of the earth it doesn't matter it doesn't matter just be led by the spirit I I can't tell you how many people are part of our church and they're like we don't have any idea why we live in Hickory Right. And it's just like lean in where God has you. And and so it's time to commit. It's time to pray. It's time to be led by the spirit. But then he goes on in this passage. Look at verse 14 in this passage. He says this. uh, Mark finishing up verse 14. He says this. Jesus went around proclaiming the good news of God. What is his primary thing? Just telling people good news. (laughs) about who God is and the implications for their life. And so here's the next one. If you're taking notes, it's time to tell others about the good news. It's time to tell others and share other people with other people, what God's done in your life. Listen, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a master's degree in Bible. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to have good news to share. That's all you have to have. So you either have it or you don't. And if you have it, you know what I'm talking about. Have you spent time Sharing the good news of what god's done in your life. Here's the greek word for the good news It's euangelion if you remember back to the fall we did a whole series on this But euangelion means good news and it it's two nouns in one verb One noun refers to the news itself. It is fundamentally good news. It is only good. There's nothing bad about this news It's only good Second thing is that the messenger who brings the good news is only always sharing good news So euangelion refers to one who shares the good news and, and the verb, like the sharing of the good news is where we get the word evangelist or where uh, we get the term evangelism, this idea of sharing the good news of what God has done in your life. And so part of the reason why the church is dying in America, it's not dying globally, by the way, just in America. So part of the reason why we're struggling so much is the people of God is because we don't share. We're afraid. We're scared. It's awkward, whatever. Like and it feels insane Mainline church, many denominations have just kind of pushed back on the idea of sharing your faith in a public space, at work, at school. And yet it's like, time out. We believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again. It has implications for my own resurrection. And I'm not supposed to tell anybody. What are we talking about? So it's like, we have to lean hard on this idea of you and I have good news to share. And if you don't, Come see me. I have good news for you. And, and we, all, we ought to have a posture. Be ready to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And listen, for those of you who are in the workplace, those of you who are in business, those of you who are out, you can do it in ways that those of us who are vocational ministry people, I can never do what I can never do what God wants to do in and through you. I just can't. I'm looking out in the room. If you're in medicine, if you're in school, if you're in business, whatever, like God desires to use you in profound ways. And it's time to commit and it's time to pray and ask him to lead. It's time to be led by him. And then, when the moment's right, when there's a ripening, when someone's like, my life is falling apart. I don't understand what to do. I don't have the answers. You're like, let me tell you, let me tell you some good news. And you're just ready, prepared to share with them the hope that you have in Jesus. And so, look at verse 15. He keeps going. He says, The time has come, he said. This is Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. And so this whole idea is that the time has come. It's basically the time is fulfilled. Like we're here. This is happening. We, here's how we know the kingdom of God is ushered in because the king has arrived. So the message of Jesus in one short paragraph, this is the whole message of Jesus, his whole entirely earth, earthly ministry. The first part is the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. The second is our response to that. So Jesus is like, kingdom of God's here. What you going to do about it? Repent and believe the good news. That's your only play. That's what I'm asking you to do is what Jesus is telling the people who are listening. Repent and believe the good news. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, for those of you that are new to this language or new to the Bible or new to this space, kingdom of God is God's rule, God's reign. And the whole idea is that God's will is done in your life. God's will is done in the earth. God's will is done in this, this space, whatever this space is, right? And so we see this when Jesus is teaching, he teaches us how to pray. His followers ask him, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And he says, yeah, part of that prayer, he says this, he says, your kingdom come. He's talking to the father, your kingdom come, your will be done. And those aren't separate phrases. Those are the same phrase. He's just being poetic. Your kingdom come. What does it look like for your kingdom come? It looks like your will be done. And then he says on earth as it is in heaven, which means kingdom come is this idea that you and I get a taste of heaven. You and I get to bring heaven down and I get to usher heaven into relationships and I get to usher heaven into my home and I get to usher heaven into my marriage and I get to usher heaven into my workplace and I get to usher heaven like you and I primarily as Christ followers. This is the job that we have. This is what he's asking us to do. When Mark says it's come near. So Jesus says, Hey, the the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. What he's talking about is he means it's so close. It's so close. The time has come. There's two words uh, for time in, in the original language in Greek. One is, is chronos, which is where we get chronology. So it's like sequential time. It's 7.30 p.m., right? It's time. It's, you know, it, it, that's what it's talking about, sequential time. But the other one, and this is the one that Jesus actually uses, is kairos, and it just means it's time. It, that, that, that everything has been fulfilled for this moment to take place. It's, time. it's the moment, for those of you that have had it, that your pregnant wife looks at you at the end of that nine month period and is like, it's time, right? It's, it's, it's like, you're like, okay, yes, ma'am. Like, let's go. So it's this, that moment and Jesus looks out at everyone and says it's time. And so what does that mean for us? The message that Jesus, the King shows up on the scene and says, the kingdom of God has come near the whole idea is that life as we know it must change. Like it is changing It will change. It must change. The old lifestyle of indifference to God and his will has to change. It's time. You and I have, Jesus addresses not just his contemporaries, but he addresses me and you. And he looks at us and he says, it's time. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Change your mind about who I am. Change your mind about who you are, the people around you. And then trust me. Repent. And believe in the gospel, believe in the good news that I am who I say I am. Mark 15, Mark 1 15, repent and believe the good news. So it's time to commit. It's time to pray. It's time to be led by the spirit. It's time to share good news, but it's also time to change your mind and trust Jesus. You got, that's what it means to repent. If you're new to this language, the whole idea is that because a lot of people have like negative connotations to repent. That they only have ever heard kind of like bad things when it comes to repent repentance is not bad it is this beautiful thing that god gives us and i know it's hard and awkward and i know it takes a lifetime to peel all the things off because we're just reluctant to but it just but repentance is just changing my mind notice that jesus does not say when he shows up on the scene he says repent the kingdom of heaven is here repent there's only good news for you it's attached to this gospel this good news of who i am he doesn't show up on the scene and say repent hell is hot like he's he doesn't lead with that he's not like, "Repent. You are jacked up. Like, he doesn't lead with any of that. That's true. He just, says, he just says, hey, repent. This is only good news for your life. It's only good news. And, and I'm asking you to, to trust me that I want greater things for you than you want for yourself. It's time for you to change your mind and trust Jesus. Jesus shows up as the embodiment of this good news. And the whole idea is that life is short. Life is short. I don't know about you, but the older I get exponentially, it just goes faster. And every service I say that, everybody who's old is like, yes, right? So it's just so true. Like, and, and it just feels like yesterday was Christmas, and then before that, you know, it's like, and you look at your kids, and you look at your life, and you're going, bro, we we're running way fast. Life is short. And the whole idea is don't prostitute the future that God has for you for the American dream. It's not worth it. Don't prostitute the future that God has for you for your dream. It might be great. You might have a great dream. It's just not as good as God's dream for your life. And so the whole idea is, let me just lay down arms. Let me just set aside my agenda. Let me just surrender my life completely and say, God, would you call the shots? I trust you. It feels insane to trust God with our eternity, to trust God with, with life and death, but to not trust him with relationships, not trust him with resources, not trust him with vocation, not trust him with, it's like, lay it all down, lay it all down. I got to change my mind on some things so that I can trust Jesus more. The whole idea is don't live for a world that's passing away. Live for a kingdom that's coming to pass. So what do you need to give up? What do you need to set down? What do you need to move on from in order to follow Jesus? Because again, it's just about changing your mind. Just change your mind. And I know that sounds easy, but it's fundamentally a request. God, I I desire for you to help me grow in the area of repentance. God, would you, again, you're asking, pray first. Would you help me to become more who it is that you want me to become? And, and not just when, when he says, believe here in this passage, because he says, repent and believe the good news. He's not talking about like a mental ascent. Like, I believe Jesus is who he says he is. The cross. Cool. I got that. Resurrection. Awesome. Heaven. Uh, I'm there. I'm, I've got it. Awesome. What he's saying is, is put your whole weight on it. Like. Trust is a better word than what he uses here for believe. Trust. It's the difference of saying, I believe, in, uh, I believe in travel by flight. I believe that's great. Get on an airplane. Awesome. I believe in that. Trust is buying a ticket, getting your passport, getting your luggage, going to the airport, somebody dropping you off, strapping your rear end into that big hunk of metal that's just going to float over the ocean. You're trusting that brother's had a good day who's flying this thing, right? You're trusting everybody is in a good mood. All things like your tr- trust is like, I put my full weight in this thing. I believe that in, in a way that just, I believe kind of mentally or whatever. So trust him, put your full weight on it. James says this in, in his account. James says, even the demons believe that Jesus is who he says he is. okay, let that hit for a minute. James is like, no, 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 no. Faith in action. Words are great. They're cheap. He says, even demons believe, do something with your life. Put your weight into it. It's a command to when he says you repent and believe. I love it because it's the present and the perfect tense. So it's an ongoing act. It's not a one-time event. So when he tells us to repent, he says, he's basically like, be repenting. Don't just, don't just think of trusting Jesus as something that happened 10 years ago at a high school camp. And then you're like, I'm good. I, I, something that's happened with us in the church in America. Um, and this was my experience too, is just like, you have this moment. So you, 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 you came down to the altar. If you grew up with that tradition or, you know, you marked the card or you raised the hand, or you created a moment and, and you're like, that's my moment. And then I'm just going to lay and, and some people who are just in a really broken space and ready to, ready to deal, which is usually where we are. I'm at the end of myself. I need, I need a God much bigger than me. I need a Savior. I need a Lord. And you just kind of like vomit all the things. You're just like, I can't do this. And you're just like, you're broken, ugly crying, just like, you know, all the things. And, and, but, and so we're ready to repent in that moment. But then we have that moment where we're like, I'm good. Awesome so when you read a passage like that, it's like, did you repent? It's like, yeah, 10 years ago. You've had a lot to change your mind on since that moment, whatever it was 10 years ago. I'm encouraging and, 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 and calling, begging even, and this is for myself, for us to begin that practice of, I got to change my mind. It's not just a one-time thing. He tells us that in this passage. It's an ongoing process to become more like Christ. I've got to humble myself i got to pretend that I don't have it all together or I haven't arrived. And the more mature I am in Christ, guess what? The more I realize I have to change my mind. So he says, hey, it's it's time to change your mind. It's time to trust. Put your full weight on of it. And I, I know some of you are thinking this when you hear me talk about kingdom. And you hear me talk about the kingdom of God has arrived. And Jesus comes and he's like, I've only got good news. Kingdom of God is ushered in. Hey, we live in the era of the kingdom of God. And we're like, yeah, but war... Yeah, but I had a friend die the other day. I had another friend get a bad diagnosis. I know people who are struggling in their marriage. I know people who are abused. I know people who are beaten. I know people who are taken advantage of. I know people who are are hurt by other people. And I'm going, how can we live in the kingdom of God? And that's the reality in which we live. You and I live in in a now and a not yet kingdom. Jesus comes back. He shows up two times in my Bible. I don't know about you, but he shows up first and he shows up. It's everything that we're talking about. He, he, he would show up and he would talk about, uh, announcing the kingdom of God and initiating the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God. And then Jesus comes a second time. Your Bible says, and when he comes a second time, he ushers in the kingdom once and for all it's new heaven, new earth, new creation. There's none. There's not a negotiation. It's just like, this is what's happening. Right? So King Jesus rolls up again. And now you and I are on in the in-between. And our job is to bring heaven here, wherever here is for you. Let it touch. And to just give a foretaste of what's to come, to draw people into an affection where they desire a relationship with God. They experience an eternity because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. They experience the forgiveness of sins. They experience the grace that God offers. But it's only for a future eternity. It's not even for now. But it's a taste. If you've ever had that moment where you prayed for a thing and then God answered your prayer and you were like, yo, like it's a taste. It's a taste that when you feel like God's asking you to go up to that individual, have a conversation, share your faith, be generous in this way, and you actually execute and obey the things you know God's asking you to do. And then it's just that feeling that you get is like, what is that? That's the kingdom of God come down. So it's just a forte. It's the appetizer before the entree. It's like, I get a taste of heaven. And, and it's awesome getting a taste. And some of y'all never even had like a real taste. You're pretending like you're tasting it. I don't know if you've given your kids food before and they're like, yeah, that's good. It's like, you didn't even eat it. Like, like you, some of y'all are in that space. It's like, but he desires to give you, he desires to give you a taste of what's to come. Uh, in the same way as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be filled with the spirit of God. We get a taste of the kingdom of God. And and it's just, we're in the time between when Jesus came and when he's coming again. And because the kingdom of God is coming, there's still death, suffering, sickness. But because the kingdom of God is here and we get a taste, we still pray for healing. I still believe that God can do anything he wants to do anywhere with anyone. It's like, is he always going to answer it the way that I think he should? Nope. Are they always going to get healed? Nope, but sometimes they do. Is he always going to restore? Nope. Not this side of eternity, but sometimes he does. And it's like, why are we playing games? Like, why don't we really believe and trust in a way that he desires? I mean, he just wants to do an incredible movement. Wilmore, Kentucky? What? Galilee? And he's like, yeah, I can do it right where you're at. You don't have to move. You don't have to move to a different place. You just have to commit, pray, be led by the spirit, share the good news. He's going to give you opportunity to do it. Change your mind and trust him with your life. And then here's how God does a revival. He just does a revival in you. And then it gets on somebody else around you, and he does one in them. and it gets on somebody else, and it does one in them. And that's—I know—that's that the thing that we're all after. Like, some—we're just so tired of like the same thing. Like, we really want to see God do a thing in a way that only He can get credit. I believe that's the place that God's taking us in the Book of Mark. I believe that's what He's teaching us in Chapter One. The kingdom of God is here. It's come. It's time. The time is now. And, and so if, if you've been dragging stuff around, dealing with stuff, working through stuff for a long period of time, like the time is now for God to do a work in your life because he desires to do one through you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for a model of, of a movement and, and God, the way that you work, uh, the way that you worked in and the way that you work now. And it's really just about drawing a line in the saying, God help us to commit, go public with who we are in you. And as we do that, God help us to pray first, lean on your direction, your understanding, your strength, your power, your clarity. God be led by the Spirit so that we can begin to share the news properly, out of the overflow of what you're doing in our lives. On the inside, God, just transforming us, making us more like Jesus. It's not an overnight thing. It's a lifetime. But as you make us more like Jesus, it equips us to actually adequately be able to share the good news with the people around us. Some of us, that's what, that's what we've been missing. <laughs> and as we share, God, help us to just change the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about others. Give us your heart, God. Give us your eyes. Give us your, your mindset. Renew our mind. Make it, make it more like you. And so that we could trust you more with our future, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our eternity, with the things we hold too tightly to. God, you know the idols in our lives. You know the things that we, we feel like we couldn't let go of. We put them above you. And for some of us, it might be money. And for some of us, it might be things. Or for some of us, it might be opportunities or a title that we hold or a relationship or whatever. None of it. None of it is worthy of that spot. God, help us to just have proper priority. Really repent, change our minds about who you are, your desires for our life come into alignment with your plan and your call for who we are in you. If you're here today and you can spend a lifetime in church space, we just believe that God, the moment of salvation is the moment you realize, man, I desperately need a savior. I desperately need a Lord. I desperately need someone to be who I can in my own strength. That's gotta come outside of me. And Jesus, I see you, your life and your death and your resurrection. And I don't want to just say I believe, but I want to put my full weight there. I want to put my full weight there. If you're here today and you've never had that moment of surrender, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Just a moment for you to, again, commit. A moment for you to lean in and just confess him. The Bible tells us to confess him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. And if we confess... uh, our sins and and then believe that he is who he says he is confess with our mouths that he's lord that he's faithful to save us and so for some of us that's going to be this moment right now with all of our heads bowed just if that's you in the room and you go i've not put my full weight on jesus i've been playing games going through the motion i've been religious i desperately want to experience salvation i want to experience eternity the kingdom of god is here my time is right now if you're here in this room and you want to come to come alive in christ you want to surrender your life to him but you just lift your hand in the room and say that's for me i desperately need amen does anybody else give you an opportunity it's just between you and god it's an opportunity to say god i need you amen just right where you're at just wherever you're at just pray this prayer if that's you just say jesus i give you my life god i surrender my agenda and I lay down arms and I'm tired of fighting and I'm tired of pretending. I desperately want you to lead me. I desperately want you to guide me. I desperately want all that you want for me. The abundant life, Jesus, that you paid for is so much greater than the one that I've settled for. God, help me not to help me not to settle for a cheap substitute, but really desire all the things that you want for my life. God, help me to be a person who who is committed, a person who relies on just a prayer life, just talking to you asking you to do things in and through me that only you can do in your strength. God, root me in biblical community. Help me to find people who are running after the things that I'm running after. They love you and they love me. I'm grateful for this moment, Holy Spirit, will you just draw people to the person of Christ? An opportunity for us to see Jesus for who he is. He is a king, seated on a throne, and he will return again, and he will claim his bride. God, help us to be prepared as a people and help us to take as many people into a future hope of eternity. Help us to take help us to impact the world right where we're at. Help us to bring heaven down. Help, help us to, to just allow for heaven to just kiss our location, our vocation, our family, friends, our, wherever we're at, God. Allow us to, to usher in the kingdom right where we're at. God, we love you. We celebrate you. We're full of expectation for revival in this season. That's what we're praying for. That's where our hope is. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.